Hi everyone at Restoration Church. My name is Darren Prince and my wife Pamela and I are here in London with Interchange, a Christian order among the poor. Maybe you've heard about us. Uh, we are really excited to be uh, partnered with Restoration Church and I'm really just really pleased to uh, get to share God's word with you this morning, tell you a little bit about Interchange. Uh, we've been here for about 13 years in London, England. Our, the youngest of our three kids was born here. Uh, prior to that, we were in San Francisco, California, where we've served with Interchange for a number of years as well. Um, we know Rick and Molly, that's kind of the connection to restoration, through their previous work with Interchange, actually. They were both serving with us at a, at a point in the past, and uh, we also knew them at Wheaton College as students. So uh, we weren't there at the same time as them. We're old, a little bit older than them, but really uh, got to know them as they were just coming into Interchange and beginning a life in ministry. So great connection with Restoration. We consider ourselves real partners in what you guys are doing there. And we're really grateful for the partnership with Interchange as well and all the different ways that you guys uh, are with us in prayer and financial giving. I think some of you actually know some of the Minneapolis team that's right there with you um, nearby. And so I just really want to thank you for this chance to open God's word today. If you don't know about Interchange, we began about 35 years ago when our founder, John Hayes, first moved on to one of the poorest streets in Southern California. It was in Santa Ana. And his hope was to live among and to serve and to communicate the gospel to his neighbors. At the time, they were refugee immigrants from Cambodia and uh, from Hispanic countries, Latino countries from Central America. Um, Shortly afterwards, when John began, he drew others around him and the team there grew and it grew into other teams. And it's ended up, we're about a hundred people, I would say, uh, in 15 locations of poverty around the world. And we, our whole calling, our, our mission is to multiply disciples of Jesus among the poor and to develop and raise local leaders to serve their communities. Um, and we are really uh, fired up about the biblical command in Micah 6.8 to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That's kind of what we want to do day in and day out. And what that looks like for us is moving in to places of poverty, living in neighborhoods right alongside those that we're reaching out to. Um, that means we're shopping in the same places where they shop. That means that our kids are going to the same schools where their kids are going. Um, and it means we share life together, which is really how we want to communicate the gospel. And that's actually what I want to share with you guys this morning. Um, Interchange is also a part of something called Novo, Make New. Um, you can look at both of us on the web. It's interchange.org, I-N-N-E-R, interchange.org, if you want to find out more. And you can look up Novo, N-O-V-O.org as well to find out about us. I like that tag name, Make New, because we are um, we just really believe that God is in the business of making all things new, which is a real kind of link to I know the heartbeat of Restoration Church as well. So why don't we jump in uh, to just this talk here this morning that I really feel like could be incredibly relevant to uh, you guys there in Minneapolis these days, particularly in these times. And I'll tell you why. We could talk a lot about what Interchange uh, is doing around the world, and we could tell you a lot about God's heart for the poor or um, for justice. But what I felt led to share with you this morning is really about kind of the form or the style of ministry with interchange. Um, and I think this really could be a word that's significant for you there in Minneapolis. So let's jump into 1 Thessalonians. We say that here in England, 1 Thessalonians instead of 1 Thessalonians, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 
Paul writes this, and he's writing a letter to people he really loves. It's a church. It's a church community. And he has spent some time with them, he and a few other friends. And he, he wants to tell them that they mean a lot to him. And he wants to tell them what's important to his heart as well. And so this is what he writes. He says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you. This is in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So, you know, I think when he writes to those people, you know, you know what kind of people we were like. Well, I think, well, what kind of people were they? What, what was Paul like when he was ministering to people in Thessalonica? Well, he actually explains it a little bit further on, just to the next chapter down. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is a witness. Um, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And then verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So, there's a few things I could tell you about Interchange's style of ministry just from this text alone. You know, Paul says that we didn't come to you like this, and we didn't come to you like that, but the main thing not to miss there is he says we. You know, God is... Um, in the business of sending people out on mission together. And, and the Apostle Paul even didn't do his thing alone. He went together with others. And we have this saying and interchange that comes from our founder, John Hayes. He, um, he often said, it takes a community to reach a community. And I think that is incredibly true, whether you're working with people in poverty or anywhere, that um, Jesus sent out his disciples to into um, the world. And he would, he'd send them out in pairs and he'd say, go out, try some things and come back and tell me what it's like. And when he sent out his disciples, he sent them out together as a group. So we go together. And here in London, an example of that is just that we have um, started a just a, an incredible ministry within our community called Community Meals. And it's a basic opportunity to, um, to invite a few friends. This is before socially distanced times and the kind of uh, lockdown that we've lived through in the last couple of months. But for a couple of years now, we were gathering with local friends and families, people who were our neighbors, and we'd encourage them to bring some food along and to invite their friends just for a shared meal as a community meal. And oftentimes in those settings, we would invite people who wanted to stick around after the meal for a simple Bible study to talk about things of faith. We're in a community here that's mostly Bangladeshi, Bangladeshi Muslim immigrants, and um, it's such a treat to see uh, neighbors come together, share food, talk about the stories of Jesus from the Bible, and to do that together. We think it takes a community to reach a community, and that's something that you see here in Paul's writing. He said, we didn't come to you like this or like that. But the main thing is, he said, we came to you and we shared our lives. Let me look at the, let me just kind of point out that next point. Um, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. So, you know, Paul says, we moved in with you. We shared life with you. We didn't just come and kind of preach and then do a drive-by and sort of move on. And like, uh, like, the Apostle Paul and his band of missionaries, uh, Interchange often moves in, takes up life 
alongside people in places of poverty. It learns what it's like from the inside out. You know, our people learn um, how to partner with people who are from the community, who have great wisdom and insight and vision into what's happening around them. We want to live from the inside out and minister from the inside out. And that means sharing not just the stuff of faith, but actual real life, life experience. And Paul himself says, you know, this is how we were with you. We came and we shared life with you because we liked you. We were affectionate for you. Um, the next thing I just want to point out here, just in the text, is uh, Paul says that his power and their power when they came was a gentle power. Do you see that in the in the first chapter, verse five? It says we, um, you know, we our gospel came to you not only in word but in power. But then here's the kind of power that it's um, that he's describing. Look at chapter two, verse seven. He says we were gentle among you. Uh, we were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We shared life with you because we grew in affection for you. That's what Paul writes here. And so um, it's this point that I really want to kind of dwell on today um, for today's talk. Because the idea of authority being exercised with gentle power is so radically different than the way that the rest of the world exercises authority today. Have you thought about that? Just take a moment to recall the images and words of many of the headlines that you've seen in the past month. The headlines especially that are related to power and authority. Today's world is full of stories of abuses of power, and we see that both personal and positional, from Hollywood all the way to 38th and Chicago. We've seen personal abuses of power, excessive uses of force. We've seen commands to dominate the battle space and we've seen widespread systemic abuse of structural power in our politics, by political leaders and governments, by academic institutions, and yes, even sometimes in our churches. Remember that in the unseen world, the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. So let me put it this way. Paul seems to be saying in chapter one that it's the gospel that comes with power. And in chapter two, he's saying its messengers carry the gospel, a powerful gospel, with gentle authority. Do you see that? So let's look at power together today. Let's ask ourselves, how can we carry a powerful gospel, but with gentle authority? To do that, we want to take a look at Paul's use of the word power in his letters, because this is one of those places where the words of, of our English translations don't really do justice to what Paul has to say in scripture because he's using a couple of different words that sort of get translated into our our word power but i think it's worth taking a look so let's look at those together one example of power is in philippians chapter 3 and this is when when paul actually uses this word he's using words like um explosive power uh the word is where we get the english word for dynamite okay so he doesn't mean explosions but he means the kind of power that is such a force that it just explodes okay this is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is what Paul writes. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is in verse 10. 
that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's from Philippians. Paul uses the word power there, and that, that word is where we get the word dy dynamite. It's explosive. It's like a powerful force. And yet, Paul says, rather than it being a power to destroy and destruct, Paul says gospel dynamite is the power of resurrection. It's the explosive power of restoration. Let me show you where I'm getting that. Just a little bit further down in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul uses the word again. And he says it here in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3 of Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and I think Brian actually spoke about our, our heavenly citizenship last week. I think that was really helpful. And he spoke about power, too. So pay attention to his talk last week if you didn't catch it. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Two uses of the word power there. We see it once, the power that enables, but it's actually two words. Here, Paul uses the word power, and that's kind of like a, it's a different word. It's like a power that's like an energy, like a force, a force of nature, which enables Christ to bring everything into order to subject all things to himself. Do you see that? Um, and that second use of the word power is that word enables. That's where that kind of dynamite word is in Paul's writing. So the power that enables him. So, um, Let's do a little bit of compare and contrast here, okay? So remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember that. Jesus said that in John chapter 8. And instead, Paul says that Jesus' use of resurrection power is like a dynamite force that enables him to bring things into order and to subject them to himself. Another translation would be that it brings all things under his feet. And so to understand the, the language here in English, it might help to think about the ways that we use power as both a noun and as a verb. Anybody ever say as a verb that uh, they need to power up their computer? Um, that would be different than a power nap, right? That would be a noun. Um, I have the power. Uh, but to power up your computer or power down your computer, that, that would be using it like a verb, right? So when Paul talks about the power that enables Christ, he's talking about both the substance and the action of restorative resurrection power. In today's language, it would be something like this. According to the batteries that powered him to subject all things to himself. According to the, uh, the immense generators of power that powered him to be able to bring things under control in his kingdom. That's what Paul writes. So I want you to picture just the explosive force of a dynamite. You know, if you ever have seen a video of sort of an explosion played in reverse, where suddenly everything comes into order and back into shape and is restored. That's what Paul's talking about here. Do you know what that is? That's the power of resurrection. That's the power of restoration. Dallas Willard um, says it this way in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He's got this great quote that I think is worth talking about. He says this, our union with Jesus allows us to be a part of his conspiracy to undermine the structures of evil which continue to dominate human history with the forces of truth, freedom, and love. So we can over undermine the structures of evil with the forces of truth, freedom, and love. We can quietly and relentlessly align ourselves with these forces wherever they are because we know what is cosmically af afoot. 
To overcome evil with good, in the Apostle Paul's word, is not just something for an individual effort here and there. It's actually what will come to pass on this earth. So the power of Jesus's resurrection and his continuing life in human beings assures us of this. That's Dallas Willard. He's talking about the power of Jesus's resurrection to undermine the forces of evil. So let me show you one other place where this use of explosive, restorative power shows up. Uh, it's what Jesus says when he promises the Holy Spirit and commissions his disciples as his witnesses. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power. That's that explosive kind of dynamite power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just think about that. Resurrection power is an explosive energy at work in the explosive growth of the early church. You know, we often talk about the early church being the birth of the church, you know, Pentecost. But I wonder what it'd be like to think of it as this kind of explosion of the gospel, which actually brings all things under his rule and reign as the king in the kingdom of Christ. It's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? So that takes us back to First Thessalonians. You know, what is it? What kind of power is he is the Apostle Paul using when he makes this statement? For we know, brothers, that our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power. Well, that word power is that word dynamite energy. You know, it came in a, such a force, an explosive force of restoration. Um, but it's also a gentle power. It's a gentle power. And that's where Paul says in chapter 2, it wasn't full of flattery. It wasn't greedy. Uh, it didn't make demands. It wasn't glory-seeking. It actually was gentle, and it was gentle in the sense of like a nursing mom looking after her own children. I love that image that Paul uses there. Um, you might be old enough to remember something that was uh, unique to American, I don't know if it was evangelical history or not, but, but you might have heard of the power team. Now, these guys were like an evangelistic team that would travel around the country, and they would do some pretty amazing stuff. They were big, huge guys with huge muscles, and they would do things at an evangelistic outreach that were basically sort of, you know, beyond human, right? They were ripping phone books in half to kind of demonstrate the power of God. They were karate chopping big blocks of wood with their foreheads. Uh, I want you to picture the power team using all of that strength and muscle. Uh, no doubt for God's kingdom, I think it was probably effective in its time. But I want you to compare that uh, with my friend Lindsay, who is the mother of two twin boys. And I want you to picture the quiet power of the self-sacrifice it takes for a mother of twin babies to wake up three times a night to feed her babies, to comfort them, to change them, and to nurture them. Which one do you think is the most powerful? Friends, may I suggest to you that this is the kind of power that the world needs right now. A little less explosive dynamite and a little more resurrection power, a little more restorative, nurturing power. You know, in Interchange, we have so many great examples of people who are living in exactly this way that Paul talks about. I think about my friends, Jose and Celida. He's from El Salvador. She's from Mexico. And they're serving in Honduras right now in one of the poorest parts of the, um, the country's capital there. Uh, they're in a place where they're working during this pandemic to actually just help get food delivered to their neighbors who often don't even have clean water. They're so high up on the hill in this area of poverty. 
but they do it with such gentleness and kindness and affection. I think about uh, my friend Christy on Interchange staff in Washington, D.C., who has moved in this period of uh, just real unrest around racial injustice to help people learn about race literacy through uh, a project that she has going there, just to, to in gentleness and with the use of her power and authority, bring others into greater awareness of their own kind of um, their own reality with issues of race and injustice. So powerful and yet so kind of quiet and gentle. But you don't need these examples of interchange workers um, to understand the power of the gospel because the greatest example is Jesus Christ himself. And actually Paul writes about him in a beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read that to you in the message version just because I know we hear it so often and if it's familiar to you, um, maybe this language will help. So uh, this is Philippians chapter 2. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Friends, our world is showing us that power is an explosive force and it can be used to dismember and destroy, but it can also be used as the power of the gospel to restore and bring resurrection life. What would it be like? I think this is where we can think about it for us. What does this mean for us? What would it be like for this power to be at work today in your family? What would it be like for resurrection, restorative power to be at work in your community right now, right there in Minneapolis or in your workplace? What would it be like for explosive, restorative power to be at work in the streets where you live and where you shop? where you get to know your neighbors and serve them right there in Minneapolis, which so desperately needs it. I think that's my encouragement to you today to remember Paul and the way that he came to people with the explosive power of the gospel, but he came gently like a nursing mother looking after her own kids. I love that use of the word power. And there's another use of the word power in uh, the book of Jude. And it's that enabling power. There's explosive power and enabling power. Um, that use of that same word is in the book of Jude right at the very end, verses 24 and 25. Let me bless you with that for today. It says, now to him who is able, that word able is that dynamite explosive power right there. That's his word. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen.